touched his mouth that this is going to be a great teaching. And now I have significant anxiety. <laughs> okay, so freedom from anxiety. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what is it. I'm going to define it for you. I'm going to look at what the Bible says about it. And then I'm going to give you some really practical tips on how to deal with it. TJ, can I get the PowerPoint back? So here's some definitions for you. Um, It's a painful or apprehensive uneasiness of mind, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. Now, I don't really think this morning's going to be an anticipated ill, but it does cause me some nerves, right? Public speaking is the number one fear that people have. Um, In psychology, it's a feeling of dread, fear, apprehension, often with no clear justification. So this is really the type of anxiety I want to talk about this morning. If you think about why does this happen, where does it come from, it's really part of that flight or fight response. So productive anxiety, which really should have a different term, but we just don't have the word for it in our English language, is going to cause you to focus. It's going to cause you to prepare. It's going to cause you to take action. That is positive. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. So as an example, you know, when I would think about preparing for this talk and I would feel some anxiety, the correct way to respond would be to actually go prepare, right? To go do some research, to start making a plan, to, to take that energy in a positive direction. The wrong way to respond would be just to say, oh, no, oh, no, now I can't sleep. What will I do? And lose two weeks of good life. Okay? And, you know, that's really easy to do. You're, people do it all the time. Here's some symptoms of anxiety. Um, you probably can relate to these now. You know, if you have these symptoms, is it for sure anxiety? No. It could be related to something else. But a lot of times people misdiagnose a physical complaint, and it's actually anxiety. So they're looking for some physical cause, some, you know, I need to go to the doctor because I've got a symptom, and actually it's anxiety. And so you want to deal with your thoughts and your emotions as opposed to popping pills, if that makes sense. <laughs> so um, here are just some things you can ask yourself. Are you constantly tense, worried, or on edge? Does your anxiety interfere with your work, school, or family responsibilities? Are you plagued by fears that you know are irrational, but you can't shake them? Do you believe that something bad will happen if certain things aren't done in a certain way? Now, a really funny example here would be, you know, the guy who's got his favorite sports team that certainly will lose if he doesn't wear his lucky socks every time they play. Okay, that's a really funny, lighthearted example. I'm not really talking about that. But that would be the type of thing we're talking about there. Do you avoid everyday situations or activities because they cause you anxiety? Is anxiety interfering with your life? Do you experience sudden, unexpected attacks of heart-pounding panic? And do you feel like danger and catastrophe are around every corner? Now, a lot of us experience this in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons. Um, And you may or may not experience all of those um, different things that are up there. But if, if... If you've ever experienced these or if you know someone who has, then that's the type of thing I want to talk about this morning. And something I really want to focus on is this idea of the impact of our thoughts. Um, You know, there's that scripture that talks about how we need to, it's in 2 Corinthians 10.5, demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
Now, I, I know that you've heard teachings on that verse before, but I've never thought about it exactly this way, and this really helped me. The way that we are designed, the way that we work, is that our habits of thinking lead to our emotions. Our emotions lead to our attitudes, and our attitudes lead to our moods. So really, taking captive every thought and making sure it lines up with God's truth is really key to how we are created. So God's actually given you a tool right there in 2 Corinthians about dealing with anxiety for emotional health. And I'm going to give you an example here. If you start with worry, worry is going to lead to fearfulness. Fearfulness leads to anxiety, and anxiety always leads to depression. That's just how it works. Now, on the flip side, if you start with prayer, you know that verse that says pray without ceasing, this idea of being in a habit of prayer, that would be your habit of thinking. You go to God first. Prayer leads to thankfulness. Thankfulness leads to peace, and peace leads to joy. So whoever or whatever controls your thinking also controls your feelings. Isn't that amazing? So right there in 2 Corinthians, we're told to take captive every thought. And one of the reasons is because it really affects your entire life. So we've established what it is. But I have good news for you. The Bible has a lot to say about this. God really cares about our mental well-being, and he has equipped us to effectively manage our anxiety. So in saying that, we're going to move on to what the Bible says. Now these first verses, really what I want you to get from them is that anxiety is not God's best for our life. It's not God's plan for us. That's the message I want you to get. I don't want you to be condemned. I don't want you to feel upset if you deal with this. You know, one in five people, one in five adults in any given year deal with dysfunctional levels of anxiety in the U.S. So if you deal with this, you are in good company. This is very normal. But I just want to show you what God says about it. So in Deuteronomy, um, the nation of Israel is getting their list of blessings and curses if they choose to follow God, if they choose to disobey him. And in the curses section, you find this verse, Deuteronomy 28.65, which the highlight there is the Lord will give you an anxious mind. Clearly not God's best for us. Proverbs talks about how anxiety weighs down the heart. In Luke, this is pretty interesting, in Luke 12, 22 to 25, you remember this verse where Jesus says, do not worry, and, you know, the ravens don't worry. Why should you worry? And at the end he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Anyone here? Because studies actually show that stress and anxiety reduce our lifespan. They actually shorten our life. So, in fact, the exact opposite happens. And one of the ways I like to think about this is this is an unproductive emotion. Having anxiety, having just general worries, unproductive. What are you accomplishing? Well, I guess you're accomplishing shortening your life, so there's that. Um, But it's unproductive, and so how can you make it more productive? Now, one thing that I've done in my life, which is just a little personal tip I'm going to share with you, sometimes I can't sleep happens not a whole lot but sometimes because I'm worried about something and I wake up and I'm exhausted and I'm really not going to do anything about this thing I'm worried about because it's the middle of the night but I'm mad that I'm awake and I'm kind of like you know what Satan 
If you're making me uncomfortable, I'm making you uncomfortable. And so you know what I choose to do? I just choose to pray in tongues. Just like, you know what? Might as well make this a productive time. Right? I'm turning this unproductive experience into something productive. And you know what? I fall asleep pretty quickly. It changes. (laughs) So it's just a personal tip. Take it or leave it. What does the Bible say? Matthew 13.22 in the parable of the sower. We took about the seed that fell among the thorns. And I always read this as, you know, oh, you're materialistic. And so then God's unfruitful. But really it talks about the worries of this life. So again, it's the idea that worries or anxiety is causing you to retract from who you're meant to be. It's causing you to not participate in the activities that you're called to. It's causing you to be unfruitful. So I'm not going to actually read this scripture to you, but I just want to point out that the Bible actually goes through a stress of a storm. And you can read this and you can see how people naturally respond outside of God's counsel. So this is when Paul is um, on his way to Rome and they encounter a pretty bad, bad storm on the sea and they eventually are shipwrecked. And so on day one, which you can see in verse 15 and 16 there, they attempt to resist the storm by heading into the wind. They seek to adjust to the storm by making the lifeboat secure and passing ropes under the ship. And then they prepare to endure the storm by lowering the sea anchor and letting the ship be driven along. That seems reasonable. So I'm just going to tell you the insight number one from this is that when you are first confronted with a sudden storm, a sudden problem, a sudden issue in your life, individuals strive to use personal expertise and all available resources to counter the impending threat. That seems reasonable, right? You're problem solving. Seems normal. Okay. Well, what if the storm doesn't stop? What if it's a bigger storm? So in day two, which you can see in verse 18, what they do is after a violent battering from the storm, they begin to throw the cargo overboard. Now this cargo is probably extra stuff. Extra stuff that they were just making their journey more fruitful. They would transporting it for someone. They would sell it when they got to port. So an insight number two is that as storms continue, it forces the individual to plan for survival. And non-essential aspects of life and vocation are abandoned. That makes sense. You might quit doing that hobby. You might, you know, just kind of back off a little bit from your extra activities. You're kind of feeling stressed out. You're fatigued. You need time and space, right? It's pretty normal. Okay, the storm continues. Day three. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Verse 19 says, They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like if I'm a fisherman on a boat, tackle might be important. I might need that. That might be my livelihood. That might be how I'm going to eat. And it specifies in Scripture that they did it with their own hands. It didn't fall overboard. It wasn't because of the storm that they lost it. It says that they did it themselves. Now, what does that tell me? Well, insight number three is that as storms continue... Plans and actions become irrational, and survival attempts can become self-destructive. Okay? This is just normal human response. This is what we do. Now it says, after the storm continued for days and days, they gave up all hope of being saved. So insight number four is that prolonged stress when dealt with outside of the counsel of God, will usually lead to disabling emotional and physical depression. This is the normal human experience without God. 
the great news is that we're not without God. Right? So, in Jeremiah, it tells us that blessed is one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, a year of drought, to me, sounds like a pretty long storm. That's a pretty long problem. And yet, the Bible tells us that if you're able to trust in the Lord, you can have confidence in him, that your life can still be fruitful amidst that storm, amidst that problem, and that there's hope. And I think that's really exciting. It also, The Bible also tells us that we can cast all of our anxiety on God because he cares for us. And in Ephesians, it tells us that we need to be renewed in the attitude of our minds. So remember this. Remember this whole thing here? Be renewed in the attitude of your minds. Sounds an awful lot like your habits of thinking. Just food for thought. We're going to bring this full circle. <laughs> so we're also have been called to a renewed mind in Colossians. It says, now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. So what do I want to draw out from here? Okay, so as we're called to renewed mind, here are the important points. First of all, we play a pretty big role in that process. We're not inactive. We're actually quite active in that process. We need to create some distance from our old habits. It's on us to recognize those old habits and find a new way of acting. You replace those old patterns with new ones, new ones that conform to the image of Christ, new ones that are consistent with who you're trying to become as a son or daughter. You transform those habits of thinking, which will affect your emotions, your attitudes, your moods, and you use the truth until you really know it. So I'm sure you're aware of this difference. Like, hey, I know something, and I know something. Right? Like, you know something in your head, and that doesn't always affect your emotions because your emotions follow what you know in the deepest part of your being. And in this case, the truth is what you need to use until it's in the deepest part of your being. Okay? That's, that's where you want to have it. So we've covered what anxiety is. We've covered what the Bible says briefly. And I really want to spend some time on some practical, what can I do about it? Because some of this stuff, you know, it sounds great. It sounds great on Sunday morning. Like, yeah, I'm going to renew my mind, change my habits of thinking, and then Monday morning, oh boy, the storms come. And it's, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to be rational, to be logical, to take yourself out of the situation, to figure out how to do this differently. So I'm going to try to give you some really practical tips. So first of all, let's look at problem solving. So when you have a problem, hopefully you do problem solving. And in a perfect situation, you've got a solution. 
And then you're thankful for God's promises, you rejoice, and you have peace. Wonderful. Okay. And that's how it works, and we can go home now. Okay, but what if there's no solution, right? There's a lot of problems that you try to problem solve, and there's no solution. They are outside of your control. Okay, you have two choices. Two choices from no solution. You can still be thankful for God's promise. That is an option. Remember that habit of prayer and then thankfulness and then peace and joy. Well, guess what? If you're thankful for God's promise, you're going to rejoice and have peace. That's one option. The second option is you can have no solution and you can choose to worry. That's kind of the easy option, right? That doesn't take a lot of effort. It's kind of the natural distorted way of the fall. Thank you for the fall. It's kind of ruined everyone's life. Yeah. If we could just get a time machine and go back to the very beginning, this would all be a lot easier. But that's what, I mean, that's what's happened. That's what anxiety is, right? Like anxiety is really that flight or fight response, a, a positive way to deal with your problems, to, to give you focus, to give you attention, to give you motivation. You know, you, you lift the car off the person because you have this adrenal response. That's positive. And then there's the fall, which distorts everything. And it turns into this. There's no solution, so I'm just going to worry, and then I'm going to, guess what, have no peace, and I still have a problem. So here's, here's the key here. You deal with your problems. You don't dwell on them. Deal with them. Don't dwell on them. So, okay, that's one tip. Second tip, one-minute rule. Okay, this is phenomenal. I'm so excited because this is how God has created us. Let's take a minute to kind of break this down. On the left, you have sources of thoughts, and your thoughts could come from people, past, environment, imagination, Satan. Your sources of thoughts come from all sorts of places, right? You're driving down the freeway, you see a billboard, you have a thought. Okay, so that's the left side. The right side is the mind. Your mind is broken up into different areas of your memory. So you have the immediate, what's happening right now, your short-term memory, and your long-term memory. You're probably pretty aware of that. Well, that's also associated with the areas of impact in your life. So your immediate present impacts your thoughts. Seems pretty logical. Your short-term memory affects your emotions, and your long-term memory affects your character. Your immediate memory affects your thoughts. Your short-term memory affects your emotions. And your long-term memory affects your character. So you have a thought that comes in from various sources. And I'd like to say that your thoughts, your first initial thought, is just that. It's a thought. It's not a sin. It's just a thought. What you choose to do with the thought is your area of responsibility. So if it's a negative thought, and it could be all sorts of things, and you choose to run with it, and that way you can choose to not honor God. Or you can choose to replace it. You can reject that thought and replace it with some truth. Now here is the most amazing thing about how God has created us. Any thought 
Any thought or feeling which is mentally replaced in the first one minute will not create lasting emotional impact. Isn't that cool? So wait, what was that scripture? Take captive every thought in obedience to Christ? It could be linked to this, right? Like God has created us in a way to deal with our environment, to deal with our past, to deal with all sorts of inputs that we're getting, to deal with our culture today, and not have lasting emotional impact from it. I'm pretty excited about that. I think that is just the grace of God. I'm really thankful that was not distorted in the fall. Right? This is part of how he's created us. Okay, well, that is wonderful, and I feel excited, and I have no idea how to apply this. Okay, well, actually, we're going to go through two techniques that I want to tell you about. Two ways that you can practically apply this information, okay? The first is thought stopping. Now, thought stopping is something that might be more helpful to do with a trusted friend or counselor because, like I said, it can be hard to have objectivity sometimes you're in the middle of something. And I'm going to give you an example after this, but thought stopping. So first, recognize what you frequently think about which is causing you anxiety. So kind of the what. And then you want to see how you think about it, so that gets more specific. From there, you want to find alternative stories for that situation Determine how you would rather think. So what are the new thinking patterns that better reflect who you really are? Figure out how you're going to implement those. How can you use those patterns? And then do it. So you have to remind yourself. Because remember, these are habits. These are habits you could have had for 20 years. And habits, like, you know, like, as I was driving here, I was like, oh, I wonder if I shut the garage door. And then I thought, well, you know, I always shut the garage door, so probably even though I have no memory of that habit, I did it. Well, that's what it's like with our habits of thinking. You cannot consciously be aware that you're doing them, right? That's what a habit is. So that's also why it's sometimes helpful to talk about this with someone. Okay, so what does this practically look like? Okay, first of all, maybe I realize that I'm anxious whenever I'm concerned about what others are thinking of me. That's the what. But then, well, how do I know that's, that's what's causing me anxiety? Well, I worry about what they're saying about me. Now, what's interesting about this, that I worry what they're saying about me, that kind of specifies even when this might happen, right? Because you're probably not at home on the couch watching TV wondering what your friends are saying about you. Probably it's happening when you're near them. Maybe you're in the same room or you're around them or you just left the situation, Right? So what are some alternatives in that type of situation? Well, instead, I could focus on trying to be more encouraging to them. I could be more concerned about their problems than mine. So those are self-generated alternatives that I could implement instead of thinking, oh, what about me? What are they saying about me? I'm so worried about what they're saying about me. Now, what does that really say? Well, what I'm trying to become is more concerned about the needs of others. Right? That sounds pretty biblical. Right? Well, how am I going to implement this? Well, I can attempt that I, to, to acknowledge, I can acknowledge that I'm being tempted to worry about myself, but I can choose to replace that with thoughts of concern for others. So every time this happens, I need to actively change it with my new plan. Right? So you've done this kind of outside of the situation, so you're not embroiled in emotion at the time, and you implement it. And then you remind yourself. So a practical way would be to keep a journal. Right? So you kind of reflect on the day at the end of the day. 
Did you do a good job? Did you do a bad job? And over time, you'll see improvement. So that's one really practical way called thought stopping. The second thing I want to talk about are truth cards. Now, truth cards are very similar to ungodly beliefs, just a slightly different implementation. <clears throat> so in this case, what you're going to do is you're going to track your mental fear habit with an if-then statement. So my example here is, if I don't pass this test, then I will fail the class. Okay. Now, in a productive time, if I was having productive anxiety about that, what would I do? I would study. I would get some class notes. I might actually attend lecture, <laughs> you know, talk to my professor if I had questions. That would be a productive response. But barring that response, maybe I'm saying I'm, I'm just going to fail the class and I become sort of unable to do anything else. Well, why am I unable to do anything else? Because actually I have a future evident catastrophe that's going to happen if I don't pass this test. Now, it could go like this. It could go... If I don't pass this test, I'm going to fail the class. If I fail the class, I probably won't graduate. If I don't graduate, my parents are going to be really disappointed in me. And if my parents are really disappointed in me, I will be a complete failure in life and no one will ever love me. Now, that maybe might sound ridiculous or may not sound ridiculous, but you know that you do this. You know that you take a starting thing, a starting small problem, and you turn it into this huge catastrophe that absolutely is going to happen, impending doom, who might as well quit and go home. So then what you do, this truth cards, you combine that first thought with your final catastrophe, which would look like this. If I don't pass this test, then I will be a complete failure in life and no one will love me. That's your fear statement. That's what you've been really rehearsing. Take that statement, turn it into truth. The truth would be, I may or may not pass this test. You don't know what the outcome of that will be. But even if I don't pass... I am fully loved and accepted in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. Add your scriptural basis for that so that you're not tempted to think, well, I, maybe I just made that up. Okay, so here I'm going to use Romans 8, 38 to 39, which says, Nothing can ever separate us from God's love, you know, death, life, angels, or demons. Oh, wait, neither are fears for today nor are worries about tomorrow. Hmm, didn't even know that was in there. So Romans 8 basically says, if I don't pass this test, I'm still going to be loved by God, right? Okay, so now you've got your true statement, you've got your scripture, you want to develop your plan for how to apply this. Oh, here's a really important point, you might not be able to read that, but you need to use your truth statement at least, at least at a minimum, as much as you have used your fear statement. That's how it works. You've been rehearsing this story in your mind for five months, five years, five decades. You've got to replace it with the truth, and you have to replace it just as you have to practice it. Right? I remember when I was playing the piano, learning the piano, I think my teacher said for every time I played the song incorrectly, I had to play it like 40 times correctly to fix that problem. It's very intimidating. So I'm just saying at least as much, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Develop a plan for accountability and follow-up. Oh, and here, really, really practical. Put this on a 3 by 5 card. On one side, you put your fear statement with a big no or false or an X, something that is clear to you every time you read it that that is not true. And on the other side, you put your truth statement in Scripture. 
and then you use it. Right? So you don't just get to write it down, put it in a drawer, and forget about it. You don't even get to just put it on your fridge. Unless you go to your fridge like 40 million times a day. But beyond that, you know, you got to use it. So how can you use it? Okay, well, two, two ways. You could either remember to use it every time you have this fear. So that may or may not be difficult for you. It depends how obvious that fear is to you, how, how cognizant you are of these things. And you always end by thanking God for his truth. Remember that prayer, thankfulness, peace and joy, thankfulness, attitude of gratitude, enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. That's partly why it leads to peace and joy. Or the other thing you can do is you can just basically make a schedule for yourself of when you're going to use this. You could use it on the hour every hour. You could have some kind of trigger. Um, One idea I've heard about is say you're a teacher and you put a piece of fruit in the middle of your desk. Having a piece of fruit on your desk would be pretty normal, right? You could really do this in any profession that you could have a piece of fruit on your desk. But you put it in the middle of your desk, somewhere really annoying, and every time you're annoyed by that piece of fruit and you want to move it, you are remembered, read my truth card. That would probably get you using it a lot, right? So it's just really practical ideas, right? These are just, I'm just trying to be really, really practical here. So that's truth cards. You go through your if-then, you find your final catastrophe, you develop that into truth, you add your scripture, and then you use it. So I just want to leave you with this thought. You need to have reasonable expectations for change. Now, God could do a miracle. He could release you from this instantaneously, and it could be a done deal, and that would be awesome. That would be absolutely awesome. He might not do that. He might act actually want you just to build your character and go through this step by step. And that's awesome too because we get to have a great testimony and we get to learn new things about God and his truth and how we can change. So here's some reasonable expectations for you. In the first week, you're probably not going to see any change. And at that point, most people get discouraged and give up and say, well, that was a load of hooey and I don't want to do it. So I'm just telling you probably, especially if you've been doing this for 20 years, you might not see any change. You probably won't. And the second week, you probably will have less likely frequent fear, but you still might not be able to measure that. It might be something where you go, maybe. That's kind of like those antibiotics, you know. You've got to finish the course. Finish the course. In weeks three and four, you will start to notice that you have less frequent fear. And by six to eight weeks, somewhere in there, depending how frequently you use this and how deeply ingrained your habit is, you will start to use your true statement first. This is really powerful. This is a powerful and practical way of how to implement using God's truth in our life and how we can have the abundant, full life that he has promised us. And this is partly just how we conform more to the image of Christ. So that's, that's all I have for today. We just talked about what anxiety was, what the Bible says about it, and what I can do about it. If you have any questions for me after, I'd love to speak with you. I'll turn it over to Jen. Thanks, Jill. <clears throat> Let's just take a moment and respond to that. Um, it's interesting to me that Sometimes how things work with God is if he has something for you to do, you might kind of experience something in advance, like before that happens. And just a few weeks ago, 
I was going through a really difficult time. In fact, I had come to church that Sunday morning, and um, Laura Shackley, Laura Shackley, she just looks at me, and she was like, Honey. And I was like, Blah! And I didn't even know exactly where I was coming from. I just kept saying this and that. I just don't understand. And she just looked at me, and she was like, Honey. You know, there's a scripture that my dad shared with me a long time ago. It was his go-to scripture. It, it covers everything. And I'm like, please tell me what it is. And she says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And at this point, I'm thinking, sounds like a Hallmark card. Lean not on your own understanding. And I'm thinking, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's the rest? You know, okay, there's something. And she said, that's it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then she said, so many times. I, I get to this place where I'm like, God, if I could just understand, if I, if I could, if only I could understand, if I could understand why this is happening, if I could understand why that is happening. And what Jill is talking about relates to this. You start to enter into that pattern. You start to feel worried. You start to get, well, maybe I can just figure this out on my own. And if I could just understand, but that's not what it's about. That's not what God wants us to do. God is saying, trust in me with all of your heart, with everything. And you don't try to understand Don't try to figure it out. He's given us truths that we can use. Jill just taught us some of those. So when you get to that point, you can stop yourself and say, wait a minute, no. No, I have truths that I can use. I don't have to understand this. I don't have to figure it out because my all-knowing Father, my God in heaven, He knows all things. He sees the end of this and the end is going to be good. I will prevail because God is on my side. We sang during worship this morning, the God of angel armies is always by my side. Is that not true? He never, ever, ever, ever leaves us. Even in our darkest moments, even when we show up on Sunday morning and cry our eyes out, we're just like, I don't understand. He's still there. Even when he seems silent, he's still there. He never leaves our side. So I want to pray this morning specifically that we'll have an ability to take captive those thoughts. To be able to stand in the face of the enemy and say, God is always on my side. I don't care what you say to me, Satan. That's a lie. You're lying to me and telling me that that God has left me when he has not. He is always by my side. And lastly, I want to pray specifically for bravery and courage because this is hard work. It is intimidating. It is scary. You're going. We're, we're, we sang also this morning, you know, you're, you're going out into the great unknown on these waters. You don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of scary. But you're asking God, put me there so I can place my trust in you. So let's pray. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Your name is so great. Your name is so holy. There's power in your name, God, and we bless you for that. We thank you. We thank you that we are your children, and as your children, you have given us tools. You've given us each tools that we can use, God. Show us how to use those tools and teach us how to use those tools. Show us exactly where those tools are inside of ourselves so we can pull them out when Satan tries to come against us, when he tries to confuse things in our minds and he attacks us from every side and makes us feel like all hope is lost and then we start to worry and feel anxious. Lord, we ask that you would be the God of angel armies that would come up beside us. You would rise us up on your shoulders and we would trample the enemy and put him under our feet and take captive those thoughts that do not belong. We rebuke the enemy in the name of of Jesus. We take a stand today against the enemy in the name of Jesus. There is power. There is freedom. And God, I ask that you would just pour out a bravery on each one here today. 
pour out a bravery, a courage to rise up within us when things feel hopeless, when things seem lost, when the enemy's coming and it feels like our ship is sinking and we're lost at sea. God, rise up a courage in us to swim to shore, to grab hold of you as our, our lifesaver, to take your hand, God. Have you lead us out onto those waters to tread the unknown waters with bravery and courage. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We receive these things from you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, we're going to close out the service. Um, if you feel like, I, you know, I need this. I need to do something. I know God is speaking to me and I want to take the next step, but I still feel a little bit unconfident or unsure of what to do. Jill offered to um, speak with people later, so she would be a great resource. Otherwise, we have a prayer team. And I... I've talked to some of the people on the prayer team and they blow my mind with the things that that God is doing over there. I would encourage you, please, 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 please do not take it lightly. They will pray for you. Come and say to them, I need to take the next step, but I'm scared. And they will pray for you. They will stand with you and pray for you through those things. And on the left side of the stage over here, we're going to have the Rama team and the Rama team is a team of people trained to hear God's voice and they'll share with you what they feel God is saying to you and it'll be recorded so you can take it with you and listen to it later there's only time for one maybe two people each Sunday so if you want to use this um, I encourage you to come right away otherwise you may stand greet one another please remember to get your children from Sunday school <laughs> and grab a donut in the back you are dismissed